Grace Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints in worship in the word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. All right, well, we're going to continue in our series um, that we're calling Built Together. There's a lot of terminology throughout the scripture about um, how we are built together. The Lord is building something. In fact, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in. That's right. And so, um, la- oh, I forgot to dismiss. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, middle school and high school kids, if you would like, you are dismissed to your class this morning. Have a great time. I totally forgot to mention that. Thank you guys for waving me down. Y'all have a great time in your Bible study. Um, all right, so, so we talked two weeks ago. We kind of kicked it off and talked about our heart, um, our heart as, as God's people, as his church. We're to be a worshiping community. We're to be worshipers individually. And, and that, that involves sacrifice. Yes, it is us gathering like on a Sunday to sing and declare praises, but worship is a way of life. It's giving ourselves spirit, soul, and body wholeheartedly to the Lord. And we talked about the power of that. When, when we are worshipers, when that is, is the defining characteristic about us individually and as a people, a couple of miraculous things happen. God transforms us as we worship. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans 1 and 2. That as we present our bodies as living sacrifices, our minds begin to be renewed. We're made new, we're transformed. Um, and the other thing that happens is God does this miracle where he unifies us. So often we focus on trying to strive for or create unity. But if we would just all worship Jesus for who he is, that will align us. If we are worshiping the same God for who he says he is and we're worshiping him wholeheartedly, he will download a love in us for one another. And it doesn't mean there aren't gonna be differences of opinion on different things or styles of worship, but there is, there is a unifying thing that happens when we realize he's our God, we're his children, and his, his love pours into our hearts and it unifies us. So that's, that's where we were two weeks ago. And then the sermon this morning, I was gonna preach last Sunday, um, but the Lord had other things in store for us. And so we ended up spending the whole morning in worship, prayer, sharing testimonies. We really, we kind of just lived out being a worshiping community last Sunday morning. And so um, now we're gonna jump into, so we talked about our heart, now we're gonna talk about our nature. I would say this morning is a little bit more in the zone of a teaching than a preaching, if you will, um, if, if you even care to make a distinction between the two. We're gonna look at four different descriptors in the New Testament about who we are in our nature. Um, we're the body of Christ. Um, we're also called a building, like a temple or a house for God. We're a family and we're a flock. Body, building, family, and flock. That's where we're heading this morning. So let's pray one more time and prepare our hearts and then we're gonna jump into this. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the perfect, good, loving Father and you bring us into your family. We get to be called sons and daughters. What a gift. Lord, thank you that you are the designer, the master builder that you are building your church. God, may we submit ourselves into your hands and let you do what you wanna do. Lord, thank you that we're a body. 
and that Jesus, you are the head of the body. May we always take our lead from you. May we surrender to you and let you be Lord. We've been singing about you as Savior this morning. Because you're our Savior, you have every right to be our Lord and our King. And so may you have your place as the head and may we submit ourselves as the body to you. And then Lord, thank you that we're a flock, that we're your sheep, we're your people, that you care for us, that you're a good shepherd. And so Lord, thank you for these four things we're exploring this morning. God, would you help us to understand these things? God, would you help us to live out of these realities? Thank you for these practical examples, pictures that you give us about who you've called us to be as a people. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you teach us where we need to be taught? Where would you remind us of things we need to walk in? And Lord, if we've been out of order in any area, God, we invite you to convict and correct us and then give us the strength to walk forward new. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, number one, we are the body of Christ. We're a body. Um, We're gonna pick back up in Romans 12. We've covered the first three verses already and now we're gonna look at verses four and five this morning. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. I I love this in just a few simple verses. Paul's communicating two really important truths. Number one, we're each unique and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It ought to be celebrated. We're each unique. We, we play a different and important role within the body. We're unique and yet we're designed to be interconnected. A body is one whole. It's complete. I don't ignore my toe when it gets injured and it's like, oh, that doesn't affect me. I feel it deeply when I stub my toe and all my thoughts and energy go towards how do I deal with this? How do I repair this problem and make this stop? The whole body is aware of itself. And so we are unique and yet we're designed to be interconnected. And in fact, it is essential for the health of the whole body. Now, Paul uses this terminology in several places here in Romans 12 uh, in his letter to the Ephesians. And we're gonna look at just a couple of verses Um, in his letter to the Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians. So let's start in chapter 12, verses 14 through 17. He just unpacks in a little more depth uh, what our mindset should be as it relates to being the body of Christ. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Don't diminish how God's made you. Don't look down on yourself because I I don't have that gift or that calling or that ability. Each of us is essential exactly in how we're made. And just because we look a little bit different or we function a little bit different, that doesn't mean we're disconnected. We are a part. And so uh, one component of realizing that we're part of the body of Christ is realizing we play a central role. Don't diminish who God has called you to be. The body of Christ needs you, needs you. Let's continue on, 16. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? 
If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? So in the same way that I shouldn't diminish my role, I also shouldn't prop myself up as something bigger than I am. The church would be really unhealthy if it was just a giant eyeball bouncing around. We need all of the different parts of the body working together. In fact, it's dangerous territory when a, whether it's a church specifically or really any, any gathering of Christ, where it gets overly centered on one person, one individual. People say to me all the time, like, oh, Jake, I love your church or something. I'm like, I get what they're saying, but it's like, this is not my church and this is not about Pastor Jake. It's about the body of Christ. We, we all play a necessary and important role. And if we understand this, it, it keeps us in balance. I don't begin to feel unimportant or useless. I recognize I'm needed. Like, Lord, you need me to step in and be who you've called me to be, to love and to serve your body. I'm a part of this. Um, but it also should correct pride. It should cause me to be humble. I am, I am a part of a much greater whole. And guess what? None of us is called the head. He's the head. He's in charge. He's in charge. He's the king. And so all of these understandings, I even, I tried to intentionally pray this at the beginning. All of these understandings, they don't just teach us about who we are as, as his people, but it ought to anchor us in who he is. When I understand I'm a part of the body of Christ, it, it anchors me that I need to be connected to the body because I'm a part of it. But it also reminds me who he is. He's the head. He's in charge. He's in control. Am I submitting to that? And I'm, am I letting him run things? We ought to be united in our diversity. That's the idea. We are united in Christ. In that regard, there's no compromise or division. We're united under the head. What he says is right is right. What he says is wrong is wrong. Where he says to go, we ought to go. Where he says don't go, we ought not to go there. So we're united in that way. He is the head and yet, we are meant to be diverse. We've got diverse backgrounds, giftings, functions, and friends, those are good and beautiful and right. All of the parts of the body are essential. And listen, I kind of mentioned this joking about my toe earlier, but as we recognize the need to work together and to minister to one another, we should recognize this truth, just skipping down a few verses, verses 26 and 27 now. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. What happens to one happens to all. Therefore, we celebrate and suffer together. Now, I don't wanna get ahead too quickly because we're gonna spend almost an entire Sunday talking about the need to discern the body. We need to discern the body of Christ, but I just wanna pause right here and say, I can't suffer with those who are suffering or celebrate with those who are celebrating if I'm unaware of them. If, in my, if I'm in my own little bubble doing my own little thing, carving out my own little walk with Jesus, and I am not aware of how deeply connected I am meant to be with the body of Christ, I'm missing it. I'm missing needed things that, that I need to receive 
and I'm missing the body in places where I can come alongside. And like there are certain situations where you're the exact right person to be there loving and serving and caring for and ministering to. That is not like a single person's job. Like it's not the pastor's job to do all of that. It's not even the staff's job to do all that. It's the whole body of Christ aware of and connected to one another. Amen? Amen. We are a body. We're not a business. We're not a club. We're not a team. We're not a social gathering. We're not a political party. We are an organism, not an organization. A living, breathing organization. We are a body. And we're meant to walk in that together. Now, all living organisms have some element of organization. It's how it stays together. So I'm not diminishing the need for that. But often we put the cart before the horse. We make it about the organization and the people are dying. Anybody ever been burnt out in ministry? Like my, my hand is up because we get things out of order. It's the people, it's the, it's the organism. The organization should only be there to help and serve and support the health of the body of Christ, all right? That's point one. Number two, we're a building. This is kind of a, an odd one. It's, it's the only thing that's really kind of inanimate, the, the building, we're the building, but we're gonna dive into this a little bit together. So our key verse for this series is Ephesians 2, 22. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So even though it sounds like an inanimate thing, like a building, the truth is we're a building where Christ dwells, where his Spirit dwells. So we're only inanimate without him. But when he us, we are alive and active because he is present. He brings life into the building. Ever been any empty of the spirit gatherings before? No life, right? But when the spirit is there, when he's invited and present, because we've created a dwelling for him. You are welcome here. Come be at home here. Then there's life. Then there's life. So we're being built together. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but that, that little phrase there, that Greek word built together, it has a double meaning. It means we are working alongside each other, building something. So we are working together to build. But it also means different parts being built together into one whole. So we both cooperate in the work and we find ourselves connected to one another. We're being built together. Now, the few verses prior to this talk about this building. And there's two different imageries used. I want you to watch for these. There's a house and a temple. A house and a temple, Ephesians 2, now starting in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We are a building that is being knit together, built upon the firm foundation of Christ. And so what I wanna do is unpack these two terms here, uh, the idea of a house and the idea of a temple. Um, and I wanna do this by looking at Acts chapter two. So as the church is really first com coming to life, being born, um, they gathered in homes 
and they gathered at the temple. And I think there's two Greek words here that are really important that can help us understand how temple and house are meant to function. All right, so here we go. Acts 2, um, I'm just gonna read verse 42 and I'm gonna skip down and read 46 and 47. And they continued steadfastly. So this was a regular committed occurrence. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. That's our first Greek word, fellowship, koinonia. In the breaking of bread and in prayers. Verse 46. So they continued how often? Daily with one accord, that's unity, in the temple. So they didn't just have church on Sunday. It was seven days a week, daily in the temple. And breaking bread where? House to house. And they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church. Like we've made that word a building, but that word church, it's ecclesia. It's a gathering. It's an assembly. It's a called out congregation. That Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So for just the sake of our dialogue this morning, like the temple, right? It's this place where we go and we gather and we're together. And so the church, ecclesia, gathers. We gather, we're the called out assembly or congregation. This word literally means a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place. The world needs to see the church. It needs to see the church gathered. We come together. We do that on Sunday mornings, but this is even bigger than that. It's pretty special when there's like a citywide gathering where hopefully the city sees the church coming and uniting together publicly as an assembly saying, we're citizens of heaven. We belong to Jesus and we worship him. Notice the consistency and the unity. They gather daily in the temple in one accord. We are meant to gather. Now that can look a lot of different ways, but we, we need temple. We need ecclesia. We need the called out people of God standing together in unity. And it needs to be consistent and regular. The other is house. They were in each other's home. There was life on life happening. They were breaking bread, sharing a meal. So we have that word koinonia, fellowship. It means association, community. It means communion. Guys, this, this word is so deep. It can even mean intercourse or intimacy. The idea is we're deeply connected with one another. In the same way I was saying, we can't be a part of the body if we don't have any awareness of each other. Like being home to home, living life together, you develop real friendship. You're aware of what's happening in one another's lives. You're walking together. You're experiencing the joy of fellowship but then you also experience walking through the realities of life together. And so we are a building. We're meant to gather together in homes and in temples. We're meant to be the united people of God and we're meant to fellowship and build one another up. Deep connection, deep communion. And so what did they do? They gathered in homes regularly. They, they broke bread and they prayed. I love that. Some of it is just fun. Some of, some, I mean, it's all fun. It sounded like I was saying prayer isn't fun. Prayer's fun. But you know what I mean? Some of it is just, it's simple, just gathering and celebration, having a good meal, laughter, enjoying being together. 
And then out of that same sense of joy and love and community, we then can, can lean in and pray. We can pray and seek God and enjoy his presence. We can pray for and with one another. We can bear one another's burdens. So we gather. All right, body building number three, family. We're called a family. Back to Romans chapter 12, verse 10. I'm gonna go relatively quickly through these. I've got about five different verses. I just want you to see how often the idea of brother, sister, father, mother, we just see family throughout um, the scripture. So Romans 12, 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So Paul writes about it there, the Romans. Peter writes about it in his letter, 1 Peter 3, 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. The idea behind this is that we, we operate out of the basis of relationships, out of, out of family relationships, not any other social structure, ranking, system, what's your title, what's your badge. It's No, we don't associate on that level. We associate at the level of family. Brothers and sisters in Christ, and I love these descriptive words that were used. Affection, like we care for each other. There's affection. There's honor. We honor each other. We recognize who we are. Like we're seen. Do you, do you guys understand how rarely that actually happens? First of all, for many of us, it's scary to even think about being seen for who we are. That's, that's intimidating to us. But there's something really powerful when you are seen for exactly who you are. You're seen and you're loved and you're celebrated. You're honored for who you are and how God has uniquely made you. It, it does something in the lives of my children when they get this. When we're not just busy doing the stuff, but when we actually slow down and we engage when I'm listening to their story, looking at the picture that they drew, like that, that meaningful connection. I see you, I care about what you care about, I honor you. There's power in that. Affection, honor, sympathy, tender hearts. Like I, listen, guys, it's inevitable, you know, anytime I'm talking about how we're connected and, and we're re relational, um, there's the goal which is this harmonious, loving, beautiful body of Christ. And then there's the reality of real people walking through life together, <laughs> right? And we step on each other's toes and we rub each other the wrong way and we offend one another. And sympathy ought to be a key part of our brotherly and sisterly love for each other. So many of the, the times that we wound each other actually come out of there's something else going on. And if we have enough awareness of each other to even be able to recognize that, I'm not, I'm not talking about okaying like abusive situations. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like being quick to have some sympathy and understanding, both when you've been hurt or when you've, you've been the one who's hurt. Like instead of being so quick to defend myself, what if I have some sympathy and go, you know what? I, didn't, I was too quick to hurt or wound there and I need to slow down and recognize that caused damage. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Being quick to forgive, quick to repent, having sympathy the family of God. We're called the bride of Christ. We're called the children of God. We're called to treat each other as fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters. In Paul's letter to Timothy, um, this is 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 3. 
says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father and younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. Like, I love this. He's just painting a picture of like, there's a place for everybody in the family. We all come in with different backgrounds. We come in with family hurt. Like maybe, maybe our own parents did a lot of wounding in our lives. Maybe we have fractured relationships with family members. Uh, listen, in the body of Christ, there's a lot of variety. There's folks who are married. There's folks who are single. There's empty nesters. There's parents with babies who are just trying to figure out which end is up because they're exhausted. Like there's all manner of different experiences and backgrounds, but in the family of God, there's a place for everyone and we honor and reverence each other. We love each other. First Thessalonians 2, 7. I love this. Paul talks about how we care for one another. And he, he says to the Thessalonians, here's how, even as a leader in the church, here's how I treated you. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. See, when we realize we're family and we recognize we're connected, like if, if David and I are having interaction, an interaction, like I'm actually connected with him. So like what's going on with him directly affects me. Like family, like that's, that's blood. We're connected, like it or not. Like it or not. This might annoy you, but we're all gonna be in heaven together forever. May as well start getting used to each other here. We're a family. We're his family and we're interconnected. And so there's love, there's gentleness, there's care for one another. Finally, 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 15. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. It is so sad that that is still true in the church. How little nurturing there is. How few are operating as mothers and fathers. How few are willing to position themselves as children and be taught, cared for, submit. For I became your father in Jesus Christ through the gospel. See, it covers the full gamut. We love and we nurture and we also correct, but all of it is upon the basis of a loving family relationship. There is a time and a place for correction, but it ought to be deeply rooted in this. Far too often we view correction through the lens of like, I'm being rejected as a person. Instead of realizing that's actually a healthy, normal part of any family dynamic. There's a need for parents to lovingly correct their children. Both things need to be present. Like correction without love, man, that causes some serious damage. And if we were to take a poll this morning, sadly, many, if not most of us could raise our hands and say, I have experienced some church hurt and correction that had no love in it. And it, it created hurt and damage. But friends, it's also not loving to ignore the times and places where there's needed correction. Because it's truth in love. It's the two working together that are so powerful. And so if we love and care for one another, then we can receive healthy, godly correction. Our Father in heaven tells us he does this for us. Go read Hebrews 12. He corrects us because he loves us. 
for our good, for our benefit, and for the benefit of the whole family. And so we operate on the basis of, man, we're siblings and we have spiritual mothers and fathers and that is good and right and beneficial. And again, ultimately, as I said, like Christ is the head, the Lord is the builder, he's, he's the perfect father. Our spiritual fathers and mothers, they're gonna get it wrong sometimes. Operating as brothers and sisters, spiritual children, we're gonna get it wrong sometimes. But we have a perfectly hev- perfect heavenly father and we have the grace of Jesus where we can be forgiven and by his grace, we can be reconciled when things go sideways. What we're called to operate as a family. We love, we nurture, we correct, and it's all on the basis of loving family relationship. Body, building, family, and finally, number four, we're a flock. Jesus makes this clear that he's the shepherd and we're the sheep and that he cares for us and tends for us. In John chapter 10, I'm gonna read verse 11 and then verses 14 and 15. Jesus says of himself, I am the good shepherd. And what does a good shepherd do? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, sorry, I know my own and my own know me. I love that. Jesus doesn't use a sheepdog. Did you notice that? He's not standing back letting the dog kind of wrangle them up and nip at their heels and get them in line. He knows his sheep and his sheep know him. And he lays down his life for the sheep. He sacrifices. A good shepherd cares more about the sheep than themselves. They lay down their life for the sheep. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. He's a good shepherd. And Jesus has assigned shepherds that come underneath him to tend his sheep well. When Jesus is restoring Peter, like Peter, man, he's got the biggest roller coaster ride of anybody. I mean, I, I relate way more to Peter than to Paul. Um, I, I don't have the intellect of Paul for one, for sure. Surprised there wasn't more of an amen right there. Um, I definitely don't have the intellect of a Paul. I just relate to Peter, just the ups and downs. You know, one day he seems to be getting it right and he's getting affirmed. The next day he's kind of blowing it and he's getting corrected. And so what has he done on like the biggest night of Jesus' life? He didn't just disappear and run off. He denied him. I don't even know the man. Ah. And yet that level of failure and brokenness as Jesus is redeeming Peter back into right relationship, he's saying, I qualify you to be a shepherd, to tend my sheep. John 21, verses 15 and 16. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Now I know there's more to the story, but I just wanna highlight these two things. He calls Peter to feed the sheep and to tend them. That word tend, it's care. It's take care of, it's nurture, it's protect. Feed them and tend them the lambs and the sheep. And I love this because you know what qualifies Peter to be a good shepherd? Is he was in need of a lot of shepherding. And he had been shepherded very well. 
And when we understand our own failures and the grace of God that has redeemed us and loved us and seen us through those, then we might have some having gentleness and love to tend well. And so Peter's able to tend graciously and well because he's so aware of God's grace. Like, I love that at the point of his failure, Jesus is redeeming him and is like, now you're qualified to go be patient and gentle and loving with other sheep who are gonna get it wrong, who are gonna wander off. And so Peter, because of Jesus' grace and tender guidance, because of that act of love, he's able to shepherd well. And then Peter passes that on in his letter, 1 Peter 5, one through four. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The role of a shepherd is important and it is not for the benefit of the shepherd. It's to nurture and care for the sheep. Elders, pastors, overseers in the church are for the protection and nurture of the flock. Far too often we've gotten it the other way around and somehow we turn it into the sheep are there to serve the shepherd. And we've got it exactly backwards. In fact, we're unqualified to be a shepherd if we're not first willing to be a sheep that is led. Because Jesus' version of shepherding is sacrificial. It's sacrificial. He lays down his life on behalf of the sheep. And so we practice this here. Like like we have shepherds in our body and you're only qualified to be a shepherd if you are serving We have servant leaders. The the role of shepherding and tending and caring for the body of Christ is not about, I got this title and there's some benefits coming my way now that I have this role or this title. No, it's a serving, tending role. It's costly, it's difficult. But we, we first recognize the chief shepherd, his leadership as he tends us. And then the best we are able with his care and his guidance, we shepherd like him. We lay down our lives for the benefit of the body. This is how we function. This is how we're called to function. We're to be a body that's aware of and interconnected with one another, that doesn't look down on our differences, but celebrates the diverse ways that we are made and recognizes we're all needed, we're all essential. And so we function as a body. We need to gather consistently, regularly. This isn't the announcement now where I'm telling you we're gonna have services every night of the week. But it is important that we gather regularly. We need to be connected with one another. And so we gather in large assemblies and we worship Jesus and we walk in unity and we gather in each other's homes and we break bread and we pray because we're in relationship with each other. We operate as family. When we come in, we view one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We recognize spiritual mothers and fathers and what a gift they are. And we walk that way. And then finally, we position ourselves as sheep under the good shepherd. We're his. And we walk under under his authority and his leadership, 
We feed on his word. We let him tend and guide and correct us when needed. And then he provides shepherds. And listen, I'm not telling you I'm always gonna get it right or some of the other leaders in this church are always gonna get it right. But our goal is to walk as servant leaders who first know how to be led by Christ and who understand that any position of authority or leadership has nothing to do with power or position or the role. It's about caring for and tending the body of Christ. Amen? That's who we're called to be. We're an interconnected body. We're a building that needs the structure and support of constant gathering. We're a family that gives us a place of love and relationship. And we're a flock that receives care, nurture, and support from one another and ultimately from the good shepherd. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that just in and of yourself, you are an interconnected, unified, eternal relationship. God, we can't even begin to comprehend the Trinity. But thank you that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you operate in perfect love and unity. And thank you that by your good pleasure, you created us and you made us to be interconnected with you and with one another. You made us to walk in and enjoy you and to have you in your proper place as the head of the body, as the builder, Lord, as our father and as a good shepherd. So we recognize and acknowledge that. God, we, we desire to be a place where you dwell. God, I, I pray that in my own life. Thank you that you call us individually like our body is a temple. So individually, we're your home where you wanna come and dwell. But Lord, we invite you to dwell within our homes, our family relationships, our friendships, this local church body. God, the greater body of Christ here in Knoxville. Lord, may we gather regularly and consistently to be in your presence to be with your people. Help us to operate in loving family relationships. Help us to allow you to lead and guide and shepherd your flock. Thank you for your love and your care for us. Thank you for the gift of being called sons and daughters. We love you, we worship you, and God, we ask for your help that we might live this out. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.